Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, boils and ghouls, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And yes, I'm feeling a little bit Crypt Keeper today, uh, <laughs> you know, very in, the, very in tune with the month of Halloween. Um, but this is the show where my wife and I argue and critique over horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar, so maybe you never quite learn anything, maybe we never enlighten you, but hopefully you have a good time listening, so... Today we are continuing our The Night Halloween Came Home theme with the 2016 film Hell House LLC. Uh, This is a film that was written and directed by Stephen Cognetti, who also did the sequels Hell House 2 and Hell House 3, which I would also recommend. I actually kind of find them all to be somewhat on the same level, although I will say I do think the first one's the best, as usual. Yeah, I Uh, love this trilogy. It's a great trilogy. Uh, I think you might be able to find them all on Shudder, by the way. But, uh, which, speaking of which, we will be spoiling the crap out of this movie. So if you have not seen it, do you recommend checking it out? It should be streaming on Prime as well as Shudder, I believe. But before we get into spoiler territory, we have our usual spoiler-free content. But first, before I forget, the plot of Hell House LC. So <laughs> the film's essentially about a group of haunted house it's like a haunted house group basically like people that design and and run haunted houses they go to this small town and they take over this place called the abaddon hotel and turn it into their latest haunt hell house llc and they decide to stay there for a little while before opening up and while staying there they discover that the place is more haunted (laughs) than they may like (laughs) and and things get real weird real fast. Anyway, we will get into that in a minute. But as usual, we've got our releases for the week. So uh, a few really good ones. Definitely recommend checking these all out. Uh, first up is a film called, and these will all be out by the time you're listening to this. Uh, first up is a film called Lamb. This is from A24 and it's now in theaters. It's essentially about a farming couple in the Icelandic region who discover that one of their sheep has given birth to a... Human child with the head of a lamb. (laughs) And her name is Ada, and she's adorable, and I love her, and she's the only child that I would ever want. (laughs) I will absolutely Uh, adopt her. uh, She's incredible. So the thing with this movie is, and and you're probably sitting there wondering, like, well, that's not a horror movie. Uh, It is. It's very... (laughs) The the film is your usual kind of A24 super dark atmospheric weirdness, right? Mm -hmm. So... Uh, so there's a lot of stuff that involve like, you know, the, the, the sheep kind of start like haunting, uh, our main character played by Numi Rapis. And she, you know, she's kind of like overwhelmed with these feelings of guilt and stuff like this. And I, I don't really want to get too into it because it's a very easy mo- movie to spoil. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will just say that it, I really enjoyed it because, especially seeing it with an audience because, you know, this is a film that has a lot of heart. So even though it is very dark and atmospheric and tragic, it 
it also you know there, there's just lots of great moments of this of this couple that's kind of like adopting this lamb child Aww. and and so there's a lot of like really sweet cute funny moments right um and then that's you know coupled with just like awful violence and tragedy <laughs> and <laughs> and and extreme weirdness with certain things that i just do not think that you will see coming <laughs> sounds amazing so it, look if you like a24 movies i think you'll enjoy lamb if you don't like a24 movies i can't say that you'll enjoy lamb because it <laughs> it's very bizarre all right so we'll just leave it at that um but so that's out in theaters uh, another one that's now on prime is called the manor and this is a film that's directed by axel carolyn and it's basically a sort of like psychological thriller about this uh, old woman who is put into a home and it, you know she's told that she is suffering from dementia and well there she begins you know kind of seeing strange things like uh, a mysterious figure that seems to be haunting her roommate and you know people kind of going crazy or dying and you know and which you know is not exactly like atypical to an old folks home but <laughs> Not, not, not to mean to make that sound, you know, what blase, but like it's <laughs> just typical uh, old folks' home shenanigans. I mean, look, old folks' home, people die. All right, like that's the, <laughs> we're not we're not going to sugarcoat that. But you know what, what's interesting about this film is that it takes that unfortunate reality of the mm. fact that in old folks' homes there are people that are kind of losing their mind a bit. Their death is a very natural thing there yeah. in those places, right? And so it kind of uses that as a catalyst for like the psychological horror film and the idea of dementia and kind of toys with the audience of like, okay, well, how much is this character really seeing these things? Is it all in their mind? You know, and the, the answers are all really fun. It's, it's, I, I really enjoyed this movie. It's mm -hmm. one of the welcome to Bloomhouse films uh, for their slate this year. They did four films last year, four films this year. Uh, that are all out on Prime now. I talked about Mingo Hell last week, I think. Uh, but it's it, it's really good. I, I really enjoyed it. And I like these movies that, you know, we're getting more horror films this year that, that kind of put the focus on the elderly and kind of are telling yeah. horror stories from their point of view. That's it, awesome. Yeah, you know, like we had Bingo Hell last week. And even though it's not necessarily a new film, it is new rele newly released. Uh, the Amusement Park from George Romero released oh, yeah. earlier this week or this year. And that's another great example of this, you know, just these these stories that are, are, are telling these horror films from a different point of view that we mm. just don't see that often. You know, <laughs> the elderly are not exactly like a popular <laughs> point of view in horror. Yeah. So so it's great to be able to see like these different stories, you know, like any any new angle, any different point of view in horror is more than welcome. Yeah. And so it's been nice to see this. But anyway, so if you're into that kind of thing and that sounds interesting to you. The Manor's on Prime. I really enjoyed it. I'm not going to say it's like the greatest movie ever made, but it is enjoyable. And then lastly is a film called VHS 94, which is now on Shudder. So this is, uh, I think, the fourth film in the VHS franchise, you know, the found footage horror anthology franchise. Mm -hmm. And look, I loved it. I, I've been <laughs> seeing... <laughs> I, I've seen and have been tagged in posts that, you know, with people who, who maybe didn't enjoy it as much. And that's fine. I get it. I, you know, I'm not going to say that the movie's perfect. But for me, I I absolutely had a blast with this. Yeah. Uh, you know, the so I, I won't really get into what all, any of the stories are about. But I will just say that, you know, I think that this film lives up to the legacy of the VHS movies in the sense that it is 
disturbing, uh, bloody as hell, <laughs> and uh, extreme to 11, right? Like, it's, you know, th- this movie is completely insane. Uh, there are some phenomenal creature effects in this film. The gore is great. And so if you just want to sit back with just a really fun, kind of creepy, kind of extreme, bloody as hell horror movie, VHS 94 is your jam. All right? Like, nice. it's... Uh, there, there are a couple segments in this that just completely blew me away. Others, not so much, but they're still fun. So highly recommend checking that out on Shudder now. And then one last thing we'd like to do before we in the spoilers is uh, every week on Twitter, we'd like to put up a poll on our Twitter account at Killer Critics and just kind of get your thoughts and feelings on the film, what we think of it overall. So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, never seen it, where do you think the audience falls on? Hell, hell, sell, LC. Uh, I'm going to go with it's fine with this one just because if the rest of our audience is anything like me, they might have really liked the film, but also gotten really sick from just motion sickness watching it. It's really fun doing these with you because you're so out of tune with with horror fans. (laughs) Uh, No, Hell House LLC is beloved. So I uh, mean, I assume, but... I was just really bad at guessing. Well, you assumed wrong in this case. <laughs> um, no, Hell House LLC is very beloved. So uh, Love It got 54.8%. It's Fine was 23.7%. You're in a minority of people that suffer motion sickness <laughs> from found footage. Uh, don't Am like I? it. Yeah, Don't Like It was 3.2% and Never Seen It was 18.3%. I'm not saying that people don't get bothered by all of the swaying around of the camera and everything, mm-hmm. but you're the only person I know who like actually has to like sit back and breathe and be like i'm gonna throw up (laughs) i get so bummed out because i like the concept of found footage horror films but i am so sensitive to them that like half the time i just have to lay on the couch and eat rice crackers to keep from getting sick yes you know i mean i i know there are people that have to do that but it's not a majority i'll I'll just have to live vicariously through the rest of y'all so so no yeah like i was saying before hell house llc it's it's a great trilogy it's a great movie Mm -hmm. and you know, it's one of those that's really developed a cult following over time. Mm-hmm. You know, this was actually one that uh, I missed the year it came out, and I don't think I really got around to it until a couple years ago. Uh, but it was one of those where once I did, I was like, how have I missed this? Like, this movie yeah. is so creepy. It's so fun. Uh, and it's just one of those ones that kind of fell under the radar for a bit, and now mm-hmm. it's developed this uh, growing following of people who are just like this franchise fucking rocks <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that because I love this franchise I really love like the mythology that's in all of these films spread throughout I really like a lot of the things that they do with it in trying to do a little bit of like research for the film ahead of time it bummed me out seeing like a lot of responses to it being not stellar Mm. And so that's why I was just like, maybe people don't like it as much as well, I do. Well, look, listen, and, and, I, and I say this as a critic myself. If you've learned anything as someone who <laughs> who is in love with this genre, I mean, let's be honest, all right? Critics are wrong half the time. Okay. We're, we're just wrong. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, look, look all throughout history. And look, it's a little bit better now. It, it is because you have you have more, you know, websites and critics that are devoted to horror and actually love this genre. But, I mean, if you look throughout history, you know, there are so many films that just got hammered at the box office or, or you know, hammered upon release. And, you know, over time, those same critics come back to it and are like, I was wrong. It's a good movie. You know, it's just we, we live in this society that's so built up on expectations. Mm-hmm. And especially now, you know, I feel like audiences have this mindset of like this movie has to meet 
every expectation that I want. <laughs> and if it doesn't, then it's bad. And that's just so the wrong mindset to have, you know? I, I mean, look, I'm not gonna... I'm not gonna lie and say that I go into all of these things with, you know, w- with having no concept of what I want out of the movie. Mm-hmm. But I will just say that you are always going to have a better experience if you go into a film and just let the film be what it is. Yeah. Don't don't expect anything out of it. Don't be like it has to be like this or it has to be like that. Just watch it, take it as it is, and make your judgment from there. You know. But anytime you go into it expecting something, mm-hmm. you're almost always going to be disappointed. Yeah. You know? So, <laughs> so, so, no, it is unfortunate that movies like this go through that. But it's always nice to see over time they start to get their due, you know? Yeah. So we always like to get your comments as well on this poll uh, on Twitter and just kind of see what you all think of the film. So uh, these are all from Twitter. First up is, I'm going to so say this wrong. I'm sorry, Jill. At Neath Sky? Night Sky? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so it's at N-E-I-T-H-S-K-Y-E. And this is a person named Jill. What's up, Jill? And they say, I love this movie. I found the interviews in the present with journalists, survivors, etc. Speaking, pa- speaking about the past events, really effective. I had to Google the secret that made Tony stay, though, because I didn't get that part. <laughs> yeah, it's... For me, it's all those beginning interviews before we get into all the found footage stuff that really sets the tone for this film, really gives you some kind of like framework for what's going on. Because once you get to the found footage part, they don't really give you as much framework. And that makes the whole movie feel more natural. It makes it feel more real because real people aren't going to give you exposition all the time. But yeah, I totally feel you. Not knowing Tony's secret, like, bugged the shit out of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I, 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 so, so see, there are a lot of secrets in this movie. Yeah. And what's fun about it is, you know, I'm actually not positive, although I'm sure it was uh, intended to be a trilogy or at least have a sequel. Um, but, but the sequels do kind of get into a lot of the unknown from this first film mm-hmm. which which does make it an overall very satisfying trilogy to watch because they all kind of connect to each other really well and reveal things that you didn't know from the previous film yeah. um this is the one thing that i actually googled was whether it was intended to be like a series of film or just a standalone and from what i read it was originally intended to be a standalone with a hope that it would do well enough. So there was other mm. movies kind of planned, but they weren't certain if it would do well enough to do those other movies. Yeah, oh, that makes sense. And that's a smart way to go. I mean, you never want to bank on <laughs> getting you know, your ha- sequel. Having, having three more movies in the works. Um, you know, like like we do sometimes now with like the Halloween Kills trilogy. But mm. no, yeah, I, I really appreciate that framework as well. It's it, I, I don't want to necessarily say it's unique to the found footage genre because it's not necessarily, but it's it's a great way to set it up because it gives us context to what we're watching because, and then allows the, you know, it, like you said, it allows it to feel more natural because we're getting these kind of journalistic uh, or survivor points of view that make the whole thing feel more real. And so once you start watching the actual footage, you know, you don't necessarily need the backstory. You just get to be there with the characters and kind of let the story evolve as it goes. Yeah. Uh, but But it also allows it to really, you know, the thing I like about these is, it allows it to kind of set up things that are going to come later and in a very eerie way, you know, like I love the, and this is not a spoiler, I love the, uh, one of the first sequences when we're talking to journalists and they talk about the basement stairs and we get a shot of the basement stairs and it just shows like 
you know, this like uh, ashy handprint on the bottom of the stairs, right? Yeah. And, and it's just so chilling and with the music and everything, I'm just like, okay, yeah, this movie's going to creep me the fuck out. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you, Jill, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Next up is at 324 underscore B21. This is Evan. What's up, Evan? And they say, super low budget wonderment. This one is queer inclusive trilogy with queer people playing queer. The jump scares are not overly telegraphed, music cued. Every time someone asks me what to watch that's underrated, this movie is my recommendation. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on all of this. I I think Hell House is so well put together. And the jump scares, look, we've all seen a bajillion jump scares, and especially in found footage. And Hell House did them really well and did a lot of really creepy scenes that get under your skin for such a low budget. And that's difficult to do. Mm. Um, and especially when you're looking the other way because you're going to throw up. <laughs> look, so I, I'm glad. I mean, first of all, you know, agree to everything that, Evan said, uh, I actually had a friend who visited not long ago where, you know, they were asking me for something kind of underrated and creepy, and this was the movie I suggested, and then we ended up watching the whole trilogy. But this brings up a good point that I want to mention quick, because I'm sure I've talked about it here before, but I just like talking about it because I'm a nerd. He mentions the music cue, you know, mm -hmm. or, or Evan mentions the music cue, and I love it when films like Hal House don't rely on music to cue up a scare because uh -huh. it's always more effective yeah you know so like for example uh you have for those of you that have seen it will know what i'm talking about you have the clown scare in this yeah. movie right no music it's just it's just perfectly set up it's quiet it's eerie you know you, you have no music to tell you the scare is coming mm -hmm. and it, it always brings me back to an example that i love which is the original halloween where you've got uh, Dr. Loomis outside the house and he's just scared the kids and he's kind of laughing to himself. And then all of a sudden, you know, the cop ends up like putting his hand on his shoulder. It's a good, it's a good scare. It scares everyone, you know, the first time usually. Mm -hmm. uh, but the thing that's great about it is there's no music there. There's no music like, you know, like <laughs> nothing's building up to tell you that the scare is coming. Yeah. And so when it does, you're less prepared for it. Mm -hmm. And I forget who the, I forget which YouTuber did this, but I saw a YouTube video that really kind of like brings home this idea where, you know, they played the scene as it was originally, and then they played the scene as it would be done in like the 2000s or whatever, where, you know, we're overly reliant on these kind of musical cues. And it's just a completely different experience. You know, yeah. when you throw in music that's like building up to that hand, <laughs> it's just not at all the same thing, right? Yeah. So anyway, so thank you for bringing that up, Evan. Thank you for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at hello underscore Jamie. So that's hello underscore J-A-I-M-E. What's up, Jamie? And they say, I was surprised how much I liked it. I didn't see it until later because I got it confused with all those other horror movies that that have similar titles like Haunt or Houses October Built. So I honestly thought I had seen it when I hadn't. <laughs> yeah, I... I'll admit, I kind of felt the same way the first time Matt was talking about putting it on. Like, the title, I feel like especially with the LLC at the end, makes mm. it seem, for lack of a better term, dumber or cheaper than it is. I mean, it's a cheaply done film, but it's so well-crafted. And so the first time Matt put it on, I was just like, all right, here we go. Just another found footage one that's just going to be kind of lame. And so having that wonderful surprise of how well done this film is is i think that's why it's getting a cult following now because the title and everything like that makes it easy to miss i i, I think that's certainly possible you know i mean it's not I, I don't know that it's a grab you title right but yeah. but you know i i like that hello jamie or i like that jamie mentions 
Haunt and House is October Real, because I just want to throw out that those are both really great October Halloween horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, and they're both very different, too, you know? So Haunt is is people going through a haunted house that ends up being more real than it appears to be. Uh, and that's a great one. And then House is October Bill is another found footage that involves people who who are seeking like extreme haunted houses mm-hmm. and they start finding themselves like stalked by you know creepy characters and whatnot and and it's another one that kind of turns into like is this part of the haunt that we've sort of initiated ourselves into or is this real you know yeah uh so those are both really great titles so if you're looking for something else to watch this month highly suggest those uh thank you jamie for the comment appreciate it uh, next up is at sinful underscore redhead. And this is my friend, Sarah. What's up, Sarah? And that's S-I-N-N-F-U-L underscore redhead. Uh, Sarah has a podcast as well. You should totally check it out. Follow her on Twitter. But she says, I love it. I made my friend who gets scared easily and doesn't like horror movies watch it with me. She was not happy with me. LOL. <laughs> Those clowns were creepy as fuck. And if I was in a room with them, I would nope right out of there. <laughs> right? I, those clowns are perfect, like, harbingers of doom. They're such a good scare throughout this entire film. But, yeah, I can understand how your your friend would be very mad at you. Yeah. So, well, first of all, uh, one of my favorite things to do is scare non-horror loving friends with <laughs> horror movies. It's the best. <laughs> But no, yeah, I'll just add, I, I'm scared of clowns. I hate clowns ever since Pennywise from It <laughs> in the 1990 miniseries. I, I have been terrified of them. That movie scarred me for life. So yeah, no, I I would never even want to be in a room with these clowns. They got great clown masks for these. Yeah. So congrats to them. Uh, thank you, Sarah, for the comment. <laughs> really appreciate it. And then last comment is from at the Sean G. So that's the S-H-A-W-N-G. What's up, Sean? And they say, one of my favorite found footage films, maybe even top three. The sequels leave a lot to be desired, but this first movie is fantastic. I'm I'm going to fight you on the sequels a little bit. (laughs) I still think the first one is the best one, but overall, I think Hill House as as a trilogy and being able to watch all of them together is such a fantastic experience. And I, I think I have to agree with you. It's definitely up there for me with the found footage stuff, Um, even though, hands down, this is the one... Yeah, I think this one makes me more sick than Cloverfield does. The two of them are up there for the movies that make me the most sick. A lot of running around. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, it, you know, it, it's not in my top three, but mm-hmm. but I can totally understand why it is for Sean. It's a great movie. And it, it, I just, the thing that I love about this comment is I just love that it is becoming or has become uh, that beloved by a lot of fans, right? Yeah. You know, it, it's always really fun and exciting to see movies like this kind of begin to gain that following and and make that sort of presence known over time and so you know for for people like me that you know discovered it too late or or whatever you know it didn't quite break through the barrier of films that i've already fallen in love with but it is up there you know and it's just really fun to see people come around to the film and have it be one of their favorites i will also say though you know well like like i said i i do think the first one's the best and so this is another one where I can understand the critiques for the sequels, although I will say, like Chris said, I, I do think that if you sit down and watch the trilogy all together, it's a very satisfying experience. Yeah. You know, like Sean says, the other two, I think, have their issues, uh, especially because this is the sort of franchise where once you kind of know a little bit of the deal, you know, it's it, it, certain things become more expected, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that watching all three of them together is just like a really enjoyable experience if you got the time. So. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, thank you, Sean, for the comment. Really appreciate it. 
so one last thing we do before we get into spoilers is just talk about the tagline versus the movie and what we think of it overall. So the the actual tagline that's on the poster is one of those like really long things of like in 1999, you know, the, the, this 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 and this happened. So I'm not going to read that one. Instead, I'm just going to read another tagline I found, which was New York's scariest haunted house tour. <laughs> So what do you what do you think of that tagline? What do you think of Hell House LC overall? Look, if I'm looking at that tagline, it's it's a basic bitch tagline, but I think that it speaks well to kind of the underratedness of this film because it's such a simple it's such a simple title for the film. It's such a simple tagline for a film that is really complex when you really get into the mythology of it and really well crafted. So I I fucking love this film. Yeah, sure. Uh, all of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I don't necessarily know the tagline speaks to the underratedness of the movie, but I guess I will go Look, along with I'm what you're saying. I'm trying here. <laughs> well, so the, the, just the only thing I want to ask, we've already mentioned that we really enjoy this movie. Uh, so I will just add just the fun facts from what I understand is that this is this is shot at a real haunted house attraction called the Waldorf Hotel in Layton, Pennsylvania. And what's interesting about it is that that haunted that haunted house itself also took over an abandoned hotel. So, <laughs> and, and I, if and if I read correctly, I believe that the owner of the Waldorf Hotel helped in the production design of Hell House LLC. Awesome. So, so you know that has something to do with like why it just looks like such a great haunted house in the movie. I think. Um, but so yeah, if you happen to be in the area of Layton, Pennsylvania. Go see if you can check out the Waldorf Hotel. I'm sure it's a blast. <laughs> I know where we're going for one of our anniversaries. Yeah, we'll see. But do we really want to go to Pennsylvania? <laughs> I mean, I guess I kind of do, but... I want to see it... the haunted house. Oh, fair. Uh, all right, so we're going to move into spoilers now. So again, if you have not seen Hell House LLC, please do go check it out. I'm pretty sure it's on Prime and Shutter, So you can see it there because we will be spoiling it. So that being said, as usual, who do you want to talk about with this film? You know, we've got a wide range of cast members such as our main character Sarah played by Ryan Jennifer Jones uh her boyfriend Alex played by Danny Bellini uh who do you want to talk about uh so who I want to talk about is our cameraman Paul played by Gore Adams which that is a perfect name for for horror films yeah yeah the, wish my name was Gore right uh so the main reason I want to talk about Paul is I think that he is such an interesting person to choose as the main character because I think he's the type of character that normally the audience is always kind of excited when they get killed off early. Because Paul is kind of obnoxious. He's kind of creepy, misogynistic, lecherous, whatever you want to do with it. But I think choosing him to be who we're seeing this whole event through really adds new depth to that type of character. And the fact that, you know, he's watching everything. He's seeing everything. And all of his his friends in this are kind of writing him off. They're kind of calling him lazy, treating him like he's kind of a creep. But he sees everything and nobody believes him. Yeah, but he is lazy and a creep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he is lazy, though, because he is working hard at, like, you know. At doing nothing. <laughs> at recording everything. It's not nothing to try to, like, catalog everything. I suppose. <laughs> You're just like his friends. Yep. <laughs> but no, I think, you know, I think it's interesting. It's one of the things I like about Hell House is that we kind of get a behind the scenes with the type of character that we almost never get into the the headspace of. And I think that's kind of 
endearing to all of this. And also, look, he has one of the most relatable scenes in the fact that he turns on the camera. There's a fucking creepy woman sitting on the floor. And he's like, fuck this. I am hiding under my blanket. I think we would well, all do that. Well, I wouldn't. I would run the fuck out of the room because he, he, <laughs> no, he had a chance to get out. <laughs> that woman is by the door. He can't run past her. He can. Well, it's certainly not going to help to hide under the blankets. <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of options here. If I woke up and fucking Jason Voorhees was in my room, I'm not hiding under my blanket <laughs> thinking he's just going to go away. <laughs> I think Paul accepts the fact that he's not getting out of this. No, I I would I would sprint up and run for that door. There's no way I'm just hiding in under the blankets. And then you're maybe if get I was tackled. Fi- maybe if I was five still, but <laughs> so look, I'm going to just completely wreck and dismantle Paul uh, as we go on. So I guess I apologize to Paul fans, but <laughs> although it has nothing to do with the with the performance of the actor or necessarily the character himself, but just kind of certain themes that he represents to me, but. Which, a segue into that, is who I want to talk about, which is not actually a person, but the clowns. Uh, so You always cheat the rules. Well, I'm allowed to. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, what are rules if not to be broken, right? Uh, but, so, I, I, would, I just want to mention the clowns because, and, you know, we don't have to get into how they're just scary as fuck because they are, and we all know that. Uh, why I want to mention them is because of why i think they're there Mm -hmm. now now granted you know i always like to preface my my theories about everything with just like you know these are just my opinions i i don't (laughs) i i never truly believe that the filmmakers intend these things and many filmmakers themselves will be like i just did that because i thought it was cool right (laughs) uh so (laughs) you know so there's no there's no point in taking all this too seriously but but why i like the clowns or or why i am, am interested by them is the fact that they just don't belong. You know, so like when you think about it, okay. when you when you go through the rest of this haunted house, all of the dummies are people. Yeah. You know, they're now granted they're people in some pretty fucking terrible states, you know, <laughs> like their eyes bulging out or their throats cut and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh but they're all people, you know, and there's nothing really too standout-ish about them, right? You know, mm-hmm. they just kind of look like your typical sort of zombie ghouls, you know. And so these three clowns stand out for that reason alone and that they are so different uh from the rest of the dummies but what really intrigues me is that is where they are Mm. you know so these three clowns are placed in the basement of all places Mm -hmm. in in a ritualistic scene where you know you have this girl chained up in front of a giant pentagram symbol on the wall right yeah why are the clowns of all of the places that they could be in the haunted house in the scene where they probably belong the least you Mm -hmm. know like like when i when i think ritualistic (laughs) sacrifice i don't think of people in clown costumes necessarily right yeah so so they're very interesting to me being placed there of all places in the house and so anyway you know i got to thinking about it and to me this is why i don't think the filmmakers intend this because it's kind of insulting (laughs) in a sense but (laughs) but to me the clowns are almost kind of like you know, a sort of commentary on maybe just society in general and, you know, maybe kind of poking fun at like how we're all sort of clowns in in, in our obsession with violence, you know, because I guess when I look at this, I just see those clowns as like these casual observers of this woman being tortured and sacrificed, right? Yeah. And so, and and they're sitting at the wall directly across from her just staring at her. Mm -hmm. And so, 
you know, I sort of take that as like, again, this commentary on how we all just kind of like stand by to violence and just watch like a bunch of clowns, you know? And I mean, you see it all the time. I mean, especially in this day and age of, you know, people with their phones and everything. I mean, there, there are countless videos out there of people just recording people getting the shit beat out of them but they don't do anything about it you know they're just they're just observers you know kind of like your buddy paul is just (laughs) this voyeuristic observer of all the shit that's going on in this house right Mm -hmm. and so i don't know that idea just kind of intrigues me of like you know of just this idea that these clowns are just standing by to the violence and they're sort of like us in that way (laughs) yeah i can definitely see that i do have to put one thing in for paul that i don't think that he's just voyeuristic because he's the first one who really speaks up and it's just like we need to get out things are going on so that's what i think is interesting about paul is he's not just a voyeur he is very that doesn't make him not a voyeur if he's like i want to get out of his job he's getting paid he's getting paid is he though (laughs) nobody's getting paid Because they're all dead. I am no. To your point, though, I am like I'll take it a step to connect it more into the film. We have three clowns and one girl getting sacrificed. We have three men in the house watching Sarah deteriorate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it also could tie. Actually, I think it's four men. Is there four men? Like, yeah. oh yeah, there is. I mean, well, close you enough. know what? Paul doesn't count because he's a voyeur. Sure, close enough. <laughs> Damn it! Never mind. Then. I'll continue. It's close enough. I'm, but I, I feel like it does kind of tie into like you know you looking at the men just watching Sarah because they are watching Sarah deteriorate throughout this film, and they're just being fucking clowns about it and not mm. doing shit. Mm-hmm. I honestly view the clowns more as harbingers in this film, but I think that ties more into kind of how do you view Hell House? Like, what do you think the Abaddon Hotel is? Okay, well, I'm guessing from that statement, we have very different points of view on this, so... We usually (laughs) do. Uh, So... Okay, so this is where I'm going to start ruining Hell House for some people. Um, Oh, (laughs) come on, man! It's Halloween. Uh, So... Uh, so look, you know, I, I I have a certain reading of this film that I'm sure not everyone's gonna love, uh, especially those of you that are just sick of hearing me talk about stuff like this. But <laughs> but look, I mean, this is what stands out to me, you know. And so when I look at Hell House, uh, and and what it is for me, I mean, I think you can look at it two different ways. One one that I think is very like, uh, is a little bit more clear is is just the kind of simple idea of like, you know, Hell House being this kind of place of of death and where you cross over and all this kind of stuff, you know? So, so in that sense, I sort of look at the people waiting outside in line, like people kind of waiting for their turn to cross over to the other side. Uh You know, it's sort of, it sort of strikes me as resembling that. But as far as like what I kind of think about it thematically is that, you know, to me, (laughs) oh man, these topics sometimes (laughs) Uh, to, to me, hell house is actually really more a metaphor for like abusive relationships, you know? Ah, shit. So, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I and I think that to your point when you were talking about the men just standing by and letting Sarah deteriorate, mm-hmm. I mean that's just, that's just one of the many things that kind of ties into this for me. So, so you know, one one reason that I that I think about it that way is, you know, you do have Sarah as the only woman in this group, right? Yeah, it, it's a largely male dominated group, and it, and to me, you know, I mean, look, with things like this, you never know if it's the filmmaker just having fun or if the dialogue is more intentional right Mm -hmm. but but when you really start to like you know look at all of the dialogue scenes where sarah's involved in with the men 
uh, almost all of them kind of revolve around, you know, the uh, really like misogynistic sexist talk, right? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, Sarah's in these conversations of like, you know, dudes talking about like princesses and, mm-hmm. you know, like essentially, you know, bitches and taking advantage of women and, you know, like just yeah. just just stuff like that. Like it's a, it's a constant with them. Right. Yeah. And then there's like these secrets and everything. Paul himself is this character that's, you know, kind of a big symbol of misogyny. I mean, all he really does is go around this house and peek on Sarah in her panties or or hit on the actress that's, you know, I, in auditioning and, like, making her feel super uncomfortable and talking about wanting to see her tits all the time, right? Yeah. You know, so, like, so, so there's a lot. Of, and, and, I mean, he's constantly going around, like, recording women and being voyeuristic and, like, oh, yeah, you know? <laughs> uh, and, and, look, I mean, that... Yeah, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah, and, and I mean, look, you know, it's not, it's not like there's any, I mean... There's something wrong with it, but it's yeah. not like there's anything totally wrong with like you know checking out somebody from a distance. I mean, if you're if you think they're attractive, but but if but, you're zooming in a lens <laughs> camera, though, that's where the line well, is. I mean, yeah, maybe that starts to be a line <laughs> for some people, but but basically, just getting to the idea that you know the the men uh, the men control the situation. Yeah, and, and Sarah's just kind of there to sort of take it, and being the only woman, you know, she she's given less room to kind of like speak up about all this stuff right yeah uh like the men just kind of control the conversation and and i start to also think about you know okay hell house the title itself you know to me is maybe a little too coincidental in the sense that you know you have them taking over this hotel but they're calling it hell house and to me what a hell house is is something like you know a house where someone's trapped in an abusive relationship or something Mm -hmm. like that and so to me, it's not a coincidence that it's called Hell House instead of like Hell Hotel, you know. <laughs> and, and yes, I get it; these people have their their branded Hell House name that they've been running in New York. But this is a movie, all right. The filmmaker specifically chose to have it be Hell House, not Hell Hotel. Yeah. So, so I mean, that, Hell Hotel just doesn't sound as good. Well, it doesn't sound as good, but <laughs> but you get my point, you know. Yeah. It, it, it feels like it. It feels like it matters. Uh-huh. And. And then, you know, I just start, there's just other things that I'll be talking about throughout this entire episode because that's kind of like my main theme for this. <laughs> but there, but, you know, but there's other things that, like, when you go through the house, you know, there's a big focus on, like, the wine room, you know, like, like, why do we have such a focus on the wine room? You, you can have all sorts of reasoning, but to me, it's, well, maybe it's sort of commentary on, like, alcoholism, you know, mm-hmm. and, and how that kind of leads to abuse in relationships. And to be clear, I'm not saying that, Sarah necessarily is like physically abused by Alex or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Although I do think that there is like some emotional abuse there, which we'll get to as we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but you ask me what Hell House is to <laughs> me, that that's what it is to me. Th- this house in its entirety and everything that kind of goes on is representative of you know this this voice of Sarah. You know this voice of women like Sarah calling out for help, calling out for attention, and just nobody pays attention. You know? <laughs> I mean, I can I can definitely see that. I definitely, it, it'll make more sense as we go. I promise. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, Hell House is is a little bit more. I view it more as a purgatory type of thing. I think that Hell House is a test, much like I'm. Um, you know, the basement in Cabin in the Woods is a test. You can you can go into Hell House, you can leave Hell House, but there are certain things that if you end up failing the tests that happen in there, you're going to be stuck there forever. Oh, man, we really disagree. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's a thing for me where, like, I 
I think that there are warnings in Hell House that I do think tie kind of into what your theme is. It's much like there are warning signs. There are early warning signs where you can get out. You can still get out. Like, I think that our characters, after the first scare with the clown, or even seeing, like, the Bibles in the basement, I think Hell House would have potentially still let them go. Yeah, I, I really don't think so. And this, you know, this kind of leads me to the other thing I want to talk about, which is, you know, our, our thoughts on uh, kind of Sarah's connection to the plates that's found there. Mm-hmm. You know, like, Alex finds that plate, and he's like, oh, look, Sarah, it could, it could be you, you know, or maybe it's your grandmother. Like, you know... So, so this is kind of why I don't necessarily agree with that theory. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it can't be purgatory. I, yeah. I do. I do fully believe that it is possible for Hell House to be purgatory, especially mm-hmm. when you look at it in the sense of, you know, the the basement is where the portal kind of opens up. You know, where yeah. where Hell comes pouring through. Uh, so you can look at it like, okay, the basement level is Hell, mm-hmm. uh, and it, you know, being out of the house or whatever is heaven. You know. It, there are certain ways you can start to look at it like being a purgatory place. Yeah. But I, I, I disagree more so with it's this place where you're kind of tested mm-hmm. because I think that Hell House does not let you go, you know. And and why I say that is is it comes back to this plate. So mm-hmm. So on one hand, I think that the plate is kind of representative of this idea that – uh, kind of going back to actually something similar we talked about last week, I think, which is this idea that I, I think these characters have been there before. Yes. You know, and, and I think that they they are tied to this house. And so there is no mm-hmm. test. You know, I, I, to I, me, it's just them. To me, it's just them having to relive this over and over and over again. Like it is their purgatory in a sense. Right. Yeah. You know, and and why I say that is like, OK, so you have the plate with Sarah, you know, very much a connection there that's not that's not throwaway line that has meaning you know Mm -hmm. uh but then you also have this really intriguing tattoo that paul has (laughs) where it says 1990 intriguing or shitty i mean it's a shitty tattoo (laughs) i don't know why you would just tattoo a year on your tit you know but uh but he has this tattoo that says 1990 on it yeah and you know in the context of the film that's like over 20 years ago so you could probably say like okay that's when he was born but you also have to ask yourself, like, why does he have a 1990 tattoo? Yeah. You know, and so so to me that, you know, that plays into like, okay, well, maybe he's connected to something that happened in this house back around that time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so again, all these characters, like, they could be these reincarnations that are drawn to this place. Their souls are drawn to this place. They're not allowed to escape. I think that's one way to look at it. Uh, as far, you know, as far as kind of what I personally think about the plate, kind of going along with what my sort of thematic ideas on the film are Mm -hmm. is again, I think it connects back to this idea of specifically involving Sarah, Yeah, you know, and, and it just sort of sparks all these ideas of like, well, Sarah is the only one who's possessed in this film, right? She's the only one who really, I mean, Paul eventually is at the end, but, but, but Sarah is the one who is having all these things come through where she starts acting weird. She starts being possessed. She's, she's sleepwalking in the middle of the night. She's staring at the fucking statue of Mary for no reason. Right. (laughs) Like, like she just wants to like, you know, eat it. (laughs) Uh, Uh, She's going through all these weird things. She, she gets the most brutal death in the film. We don't, we don't see anyone else. We we don't see most of the other deaths. uh, First of all, Mm -hmm. and Sarah gets the most brutal death. You know, she was beaten to death by this voyeuristic camera. Yeah. And the plate looking like her 
to me, sort of kind of ties into this idea of if you do look at Hell House as this sort of metaphor for like abusive relationships and that kind of thing in society, mm-hmm. then I think that you can look at that plate as being more a kind of concept about you know generational pain. Yeah. So so if you think about it as looking like her grandmother, then you can kind of think of this idea of like okay, well then maybe Sarah and this plate are just representative of how this you know sort of like abuse towards women is generational it passes through time yeah you know and and why i say that is like you know you've got those elements and then you also just have things like you know this this house is in uh, a small town where things are very tied to like you know chris and i always like to talk about midwestern <laughs> beliefs this town is not in the midwest but you get mm-hmm. the idea is that it's kind of tied to those sort of concepts of like you know man and woman get married have kids you know everything's like just very strict and all about like standards and norms and all this kind of stuff and you know it's very like catholic and (laughs) and whatnot oh you Uh, could always also go with it's a small town they like to sweep any trouble under the rug and not talk about it as evident by the fact that they cover up all the deaths that happen at the hotel yes exactly and and this is yes that and that further ties into my thoughts on it is that you know, when you start looking at all of the piece together footage, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's people that are saying things like, "Well, I just I just never th- I I don't understand it," or you know, "I didn't see any warning signs," or you know, it just they seemed fine. They seemed like a good group of kids. Like you know, there's all yeah. these there's all these statements that you know end up kind of tying back in the reality. Whenever we talk about you know abusive relationships, I mean, it's a lot of the same things that you hear from that mm-hmm. of like well, they seem like a perfectly normal couple, you know, or they seem fine, or I, I, this is just so shocking. I never would have expected that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's all of those kinds of things of, like, it's either being swept under the rug or it's being ignored or it's being glossed over or people are just oblivious to it, you know. And so, so yeah, that that's a long-winded <laughs> answer of kind of, like, what the plate is to me. So. Uh, I No, I think that there's a lot of stuff in the film that, that backs that up and sp- specifically especially when you look at kind of you know sarah's demeanor in the interview you know the fact that she Mm. is kind of off that everything that she says has double meanings and hidden meanings and that whole kind of concept that if you listen to if you listen to women if you listen to the people coming forward with this stuff if you really listen to them you'll catch on to what they're going through but if you just take everything that they're doing and saying at face value like you're always you're going to be more interested in ostensibly their abuser like the the reporter is. She's mm. more interested in Alex and Hellhouse than what Sarah's trying to tell her and communicate to her. Right. Well, and look at and look at Sarah's lines during that interview where she said, you know, the reporter asked her something, I forget exactly what, and or she asked like why did you stay there, right? And and which again is another question that's often asked of people who have been abused is like why did you stay with them? Why did you stay there? Why did you do this? Mm-hmm. And and her answer is kind of similar to what kind of, you know, is said often in those interviews or in those in those answers. And, you know, she says, he told me it would be OK. And I believed him. Yeah. You know, so so again, it's like we're not talking about Alex being directly abusive necessarily, mm-hmm. but just just thematically. It's this idea of, you know, this woman who is trusting her partner despite knowing probably that she shouldn't. And. It, you know, and here's the statement of like, well, why'd you stay with him? Why'd you stay there? And she's saying, well, I trusted him. Yeah. You know, 
Ooh, and I, and obviously she shouldn't have. So. Yeah, well, and I think her next two lines really tie in with that as well because she then follows that up with, I couldn't leave Alex, I couldn't leave the house. You know, and I think that all ties in very much with being trapped and stuck there. Personally, for me, I have a weird, like, it's not a deep, like, philosophical reason <laughs> with the plate. I have a fan theory with the plate. Okay. Is that with with Sarah, I think Sarah is the key to all of this. Uh, I definitely think Sarah, out of everybody involved, is definitely the one who's been to the hotel before. I think it's been in a past life. And so my whole weird theory with it is that Sarah was like what's his name andrew tully Mm -hmm. like his wife or his daughter tied to andrew tully and tied to the house and basically the house couldn't grab her the house wasn't strong enough to keep her spirit locked in the house so it just bided its time until she was reborn and then dragged her back in okay uh (laughs) i like my fan theory fuck you but i feel like that does you know everything we're talking about with sarah does tie into One of the other huge questions is, why does the whole group stay? There seems to be a a profound loyalty to Alex, and I'm curious what your thoughts on that are. Well, so it continues this conversation of (laughs) (laughs) abuse, of awful, awful things like abuse. Um, no, so, 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 look, what's another thing that happens in situations like this is that you you often have either people who are aware of the abuse and mm-hmm. sweep it under the rug because they're you know they're loyal or they're friends to the abuser or something like that or or you have people that you know are just oblivious to it or want to be oblivious to it right yeah and so i guess when i look at the loyalty of the friends i mean you know obviously on like uh on a on a on a normal basis, I mean, yeah, okay, they're friends, they've been working together forever, you know, so in that sense, like, okay, sure, it makes sense that they stay, right? Mm-hmm. It makes sense that they stick together. Uh, in this conversation, though, you know, I think that, I think that it kind of, again, speaks to that idea of, you know, th- these people are seeing, these guys are seeing glimpses of what's wrong, you know, they're seeing Sarah acting funny, they're they're seeing these like weird happenings, right? That they don't quite understand or, or that scare them. Mm-hmm. And yet they stay. And it reminds me of, or, or, or you know, and, and it reminds me of how people often, how outsiders often do that in these situations where they either don't take it seriously or they overlook things, you know, where they see warning signs, but they ignore them. Yeah. You know, and and there's a there's a loyalty that they have to Alex of like, well, you know, if, if we're thinking of this like thematically, like, oh, they're not they're not going to give them away to the cops or, you know, or, mm-hmm. or or try to get Sarah out of there because they're loyal to Alex, you know, and, and Sarah's secondary to them. So, yeah. Um, so there's all that stuff. But then also, you know, it, it, it it's another opportunity for a great line from Sarah where she says, uh, if people really knew when went on inside that house, it would be hard for them to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And it, so that, again, also speaks to the loyalty factor is you can if you want to give some of these guys a pass, you can say that, well, they they maybe just really don't understand or they maybe really are just forcing themselves to be ignorant to the situation. And it's why I love her line there, because, again, it's another one of those lines that really ties back to, you know, those kinds of situations of like. If people really knew what was going on, you know, 
it would be hard for them to accept yeah or, or it would be it would be difficult you mm-hmm. know uh like we we all have probably friends or family out there that that we either know have experienced this or that maybe are experiencing it and we're not aware of it you know and and i think that that line that that line applies to those situations of just like if we found out it would be hard to, to deal with you know yeah. like you don't you don't want to find out that someone you care about's been abused like that or you know you don't want to you don't want to and you especially don't want to like realize like oh i've been oblivious to it and could have done something maybe and didn't you know mm-hmm. like it's really hard for people to deal with and so so you know again it, that and the why did you not leave thing like all of that just it all starts to wrap together to be this really kind of if it's it's a i always say this it's one of those things where like it's there if you want to see it right yeah and you know and all all of alex's friends it's just like you know they're this it ties in the idea of you know machismo and sexism and misogyny and all that kind of stuff because mm-hmm. it's it's these guys that are sticking together despite sarah like flashing all of these red warning <laughs> signals of like get the fuck out of this house you know yeah and and that becomes apparent too and like you know when they're when they're having conversations about these things it's all of the men it's all of the men like talking and talking over each other and arguing and everything mm-hmm. and sarah's just like quiet in the corner doesn't get a voice no one listens to her you know yeah. and <laughs> and you know they they just kind of like She's just like the girlfriend of Alex, you know, and all these guys just pay no attention. Pretty much. So that's that's why that all kind of like starts to feel that way to me is it's just this group of guys that are just like ignoring whatever's going on with Sarah, right? Yeah. So personally, I think they killed someone. You think they killed someone? Because <laughs> they don't. So there's the bar scene where they're talking about the princesses that came through the the house and laughed at them and everything like that. But Alex is very specific. We don't talk about queens. We don't talk about what happened. <laughs> so I think they fucking killed someone either accidentally or on purpose. And it's a like, I know what you did last summer. And so they can't leave because they're all bound together by this murder. Well, well look. Or maybe to... they're still murdering people. <laughs> well, maybe. I mean, who knows? Maybe some of those dummies aren't really dummies, right? Uh, right? No. I, so, so that Queens thing, it, I, I actually took that as um, obviously more related to my theory, which is that, you know, so again, if we're. You know, I, I know a lot of you listening to me rant about this and having watched the film, you're probably like, oh, come on. Like, Al- <laughs> Alex doesn't abuse, like, he doesn't hit her, you know, and, and and doesn't really emotionally, like, assault her or anything. And you're right. Like, there's not a lot of that in the movie and very little of it, in fact. But she's barely on screen other than her interviews. Well, right. So, but... We really don't see a lot of the interactions. Nope. She she seems to be kind of manipulated by him to a sense. And if you do want to start talking about areas where maybe Alex is a bad dude, you know, maybe the Queen's thing is maybe Alex cheated on Sarah. We don't know. You know, maybe, maybe he's done something like that and he's hiding those kinds of secrets. And, mm-hmm. you know, I found it kind of weird that you've got the scene where uh alex is interviewing the girl i think her name is melissa to be the actress in the basement Mm -hmm. where he's interviewing her and they seem kind of like flirty and you know just sort of like i I don't know there's a little bit of chemistry there right and then on the wallpaper i'm pretty sure if i saw it right it's kind of it makes a design of like a heart you know so (laughs) granted that's reading way too much into it but i'm just i'm just kind of implying this idea of like you know maybe alex isn't as loyal and 
you know, loving of Sarah as she is of him is kind of what yeah. I'm getting at. So. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Alex definitely cheats on her. Yeah, I think that's very possible. Maybe that's what that Queens thing is, you know? So that, no, they so murdered someone. Maybe they murdered someone. They murdered maybe someone. Maybe Alex cheated on someone and then they murdered her, you know? You know, if we're going to get real dark with it, maybe those princesses did not make it out of Hell House alive. Maybe they did not. Yep. You know? the, those boys might not have reacted to getting laughed at very well. Yep. And now we all hate <laughs> all of the characters in Hell House except for Sarah. <laughs> but yeah, you can see why I was ragging on Paul. Because to me, Paul is like the definition of everything that we're talking about for the most part. <laughs> yeah, he very much is. You know, I in watching Hell House, I'm very curious with a character like Paul because we get private moments with him. When he's just kind of chill and he is the one who's stepping up and trying to fight for them leaving. And I wonder with Paul how much of that is who he really is and how much of is it an, is it an act so that these people will pay attention to him more than the lazy sack well, of shit they keep calling him well look i mean paul's paul's the dude in these situations where like okay you know so talking about like real life situations right it, you always have the dudes that are very upfront about how fucking awful they are to women right like yeah. you know the the dudes that are like whistling after them and like mm. you know doing all kinds of things they shouldn't be doing and and it, you know i guess one way to look at it is Paul's maybe kind of that guy who like he's also a creep but not like upfront about it yeah. as much you know like like maybe he's he's the one who doesn't go as far as the other guys do like maybe he's maybe he didn't kill the person that you think that they <laughs> killed in Queens but he definitely sat back and recorded it you know yeah well that's why I kind of wonder with Paul because when we get to the end and all the kills you know um Alex gets murdered Mac gets murdered Tony gets murdered but Paul's the only one who gets taken over and kills someone else and then kills himself mm -hmm. and so I almost wonder with Paul sometimes if it's something where his mentality, especially at the end, is y'all made me this way. Y'all made me and like peer pressured me into this uh, stuff. And this is not who I wanted I to be. I don't, I don't think it's that. I think I think it's just I just think it's guilt. You know, yeah. I, I, I just think it's like, I mean, look, maybe there are feelings of he doesn't want to be that person or anything. I don't know. It's necessarily like they made him into that. No, but, but, but I do think I do think it's just guilt. I think it's guilt for being the kind of voyeur that he is being the dude who didn't listen to sarah doesn't listen to women you know takes advantage of women like it's yeah i i think that's perfect it's... I, I mean look he he is he he is early on sacrificed as being that kind of symbol of misogyny right because yes. he is he's the character who's most upfront about it mm -hmm. and that's why i think he is the first killed yeah you know because the movie's ultimate message is a fuck you to that concept right so yeah. he's not the first killed he's the first taken but he doesn't die till the end he's the last death okay well first taken <laughs> the house yeah. the house is most intrigued with him at first yeah because he is all those values that the house represents right let's yeah. leave it that way uh so <laughs> no i 100 percent agree with you i think it's his guilt yeah so all right so one last thing we gotta talk about before we wrap up here is you know because this this i also find interesting is you know, so these reporters, right, they end up getting taken to the house by Sarah. Yeah. Why are the reporters chosen? You know, they didn't they didn't go to the house. Mm -hmm. They have nothing to do with the house necessarily. Why does the house pick them? So I think that the house chooses them because you know what? I'm gonna play more into into your theory than mine with this one, where they're a vehicle for Sarah to share her story. Actually, merging your theory and my theory, they have a choice. They can either listen to everything that Sarah's telling them, watch the entirety of the tapes, and hear Sarah's story and tell that story. 
or they can miss the point entirely and focus on the hotel. And if they choose the hotel, they're fucked Mm. because like they're choosing not to listen to the hidden messages in Sarah's words. They're choosing not to listen to the entirety of her story. Otherwise, they would know that she's dead already and not go to the hotel and they're choosing to unlock a door that they shouldn't be entering you know like like how i was saying i think a lot of the things in the house are choices because we do have another photographer who's able to go into the house take pictures but then he hears the warning signs he doesn't go into the basement he gets out as soon as he starts feeling nervous about the house and he's allowed to escape the house but those reporters, they're given all the signs that they shouldn't be here, that they should tread carefully. And since they push past it all, fuck you. The house is going to take you because you're dumb. Well, I mean, <laughs> the, the only reason I'm not going so far into that theory is because to me, that's just standard horror movie 101. You know, stan- standard horror movie 101 is you ignore the warning signs, you die. Like, I understand <laughs> that, but I feel like it ties in with the purgatory thing. So I'm going to take it anyways. Uh, fair. But so... <laughs> So I guess the way I look at it is, you know, to, to me, it's because the reporters represent something else, which is, you know, not so great, which is sensationalism, you know? Yeah. And and, and sort of taking advantage of these stories for ratings, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, like I recall, you know, I've actually been really pissed off about this whole, you know, Gabby Petito uh, coverage, mm-hmm. you know, because, I mean, look, on one hand... Does there have to be coverage? Yes, because they're trying to find this dude who most likely murdered her, right? Yeah. And, and you know, one of the best ways to help in that in that search is to let the public in on it, right? Yep. So, so there's that sense. But then I look at other kind of ways that this death is, you know, being used in media. And, like, for example, you know, I was watching the news today before we did this. And, yes, I know. I'm, oh, I'm old and I watch the news. Oh, fuck me. You know, like, it's, I become my parents. I fucking hate myself. Uh, so, uh, you know, so, I, I, like, I was watching that. And, you know, all of a sudden this commercial comes on for, like, some kind of Gabby Petito coverage. And it's like, and it's like, Gabby Petito, you know, disappeared on this day. And, and we're trying to find this guy. Catch the coverage at 8 p.m. tonight. Like. You know the whole thing sensationalized. It's yeah. like it's like they're they're taking advantage of her death for fucking ratings, you know. Yep. And and it's like really sickening and gross, and you know just kind of like really off putting. And so I guess like when I look at this, you know, I I think about it in that sense of like, well, again, if we want to look at this thematically, is like okay, you know, this movie is a lot Sarah's story, and mm-hmm. so if we're looking at it as Sarah's story and as this you know story of uh, of a girl who was like secretly you know being abused and and wasn't having her voice heard and all this kind of stuff if we're looking at it like that then these reporters represent exactly the raw and sort of help that she needed which is that you know they're, they're just there to sensationalize her story they're just there to you know make a make a nightly you know uh, program out of it instead of actually caring yep. and you know, so so I think on that standard alone, they you know they kind of deserve what's coming to them. Yeah. But then it also ties. But then there's also one little part of it that I think ties into the overall theme as well, which is that, you know, they go in, and when you think about abuse, you know, you have to think like, where where I imagine most of it takes place is often in the bedroom, right? Mm-hmm. Where do they find Sarah? She is in a bedroom at the hotel 
all bloodied and you know looking pretty not great (laughs) and and so to me like another way to look at their death is that if you look at it in terms of the theme they're kind of like it's kind of like this idea of you know the ugliness of the truth that this stuff happens Mm -hmm. and that it's just passed down you know through generations of women and you know just kind of looking at it like that moment of them is that moment is them discovering the truth and the ugliness of it and it's just so like horrifying that you can't deal with it right yeah you know so like so that's another way to kind of look at it if you want to look past just the fact that they deserve it Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh it's kind of that it's this idea that you know these stories draw us in but then when the true darkness of them is uncovered it's you know it's hard to deal with yeah so (laughs) it would explain also why the reporters get taken because stories like that the truth of them never actually make it out into the public right like they just get swallowed up by the small town like you were talking about Mm -hmm. the cult's just covering everything up yeah yeah no and and i mean look you know (laughs) all right well so so we gotta start wrapping up so as usual who's your killer idiot of hell house llc can you just say everybody because, like, everybody ignores, like, the creepy clown shit and all the I mean, weird shit. I mean, shit. look, it's a horror movie, so technically it's everybody. But yeah. who is your one specific where you're like, that person made the dumbest mistake? <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go with Tony in that case. Just because, like, at, at the point in the movie where Tony's about to leave, so much shit has been going down. And he's letting the fact that they killed someone in Queens keep him in hell house and get murdered in a basement <laughs> i love how you're so focused on like they definitely murdered <laughs> they someone they definitely in Queens. murdered someone when, whenever men talk about there's something we don't talk about it's because they murdered someone in no Queens. no <laughs> i'm not saying that it's a, it's an all men thing just these specific men murdered someone in queens no fair enough um so so look i know that the sequels get more into this and i won't spoil how uh but the sequels do get more into like you know why the haunt was set up at this hotel and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're going to ignore that for a second. And so yeah. I'm just going to say that it's Alex because why the fuck would you move a haunted house from the city to this fucking janky ass small town, you know, where like, look, you know, there's, there's that scene at the bar where everybody is questioning this yeah. and I completely agree with them. You either have the option of having your haunted house in New York City, mm-hmm. New York fucking city with a <laughs> giant population and people that want to crowd to your haunted house during Halloween, mm-hmm. and you decide to move it out to some fucking homebunk little town where you're going to make probably a quarter of the money, if that, stupid. <laughs> Here's the thing. I actually think that it's a smart move. Stupid. Look, okay, yes. Would you make more money? Probably in New York, but- Only thing that matters. Here, Here's the thing, though. I think that- there's a chance he could make a shit ton of money if he had actually advertised it as be- taking place in a haunted house. Like, us horror nerds, we would eat that shit up. A haunted house in a haunted house? Fuck yeah, we're going to drive that extra extra hour No, out. no, look, this is a, look, this is a pure, you're a business person, you get it. If I told yeah. you, if I told you, and we've had this conversation, if I told you, hey, move your comic shop to, you know, 40 minutes away in this super small town where nobody knows you or anything like that you'd be like no fuck no i got my customer base we're in a good place in the city this is where i get my this is where i get my income from right yeah you know so it's just that same concept it's like 
you know, when you look at these guys, it's like, okay, you have this established haunted house. Like, people know how House LLC. Mm-hmm. You've made a presence in the city, and you're going to move that entire operation to a fucking small town where nobody knows you, where nobody cares, and, yeah. where, there's, and where there's much less population. Because you <laughs> killed someone in New York. You can't go back. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> so anyway, yes, no. Uh, from a purely business point of view... <laughs> Uh, Alex is a moron. So, all right, what about your killer death in House LC? You know, it's a tough one with this one because so many deaths are so quick or, like, it's just people getting, like, you know, taken off screen. But I'm going to go with Melissa, the woman who is chained up in the basement, because you look at her one minute and she's, like, screaming and she's alive and then there's, like, weird cuts and the next time you see her, she's just a skeleton. She's a half-torso skeleton. I don't know what the fuck happened to her, but you know what? She wins. That seems like a horrific death. Yeah, no, Melissa does not seem to have had a good time, which is why um, my advice to any actress doing anything like what Melissa does in this movie is you make it. Like, you stomp your feet (laughs) until you get your way, and you make it so that you are not actually handcuffed into somewhere where you need a key. (laughs) No, you should have the key Uh, yourself. You should have the key yourself. You do not trust a bunch of strangers that you just met a couple days ago. (laughs) I don't care if it's a legitimate haunted house. You make sure you have a way out. Uh, so, so no, yeah, but my killer death is just Paul because even though we don't really see his death, well, I mean, we see him cut his throat later and that's his real death, Yeah. but I'm considering his death to be the scene where he does wake up and the girl's in his bedroom. And <laughs> I'm just saying that that's killer death because that scene is creepy as fuck. So. Yes, it is. <laughs> Uh, I still say he should have run out of the room because the girl was just sitting on the floor. What was she going to do? She would have tackled him. She's a, she's a. She's a demon. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, I still I still say that hiding under the covers was... He still got taken by a small girl. Yeah, well, hiding under the covers was the worst move. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, <laughs> what about your killer MVP of Hell House? Uh, look, I'm going to go with an unorthodox one. I'm going to go with the scene where Tony is sitting in the field and talking with Mac. You're picking a scene? Yes, I am. <laughs> I am picking a scene. I get to break rules, too. I'm picking that scene because, A, it's a really nice emotional scene between the two of them. It's where we Aww. really it's where we really find out about the bonds between everybody and all that kind of stuff. But also, since I get horrible motion sickness, it was really nice having a break from it. And having this nice, calming scene where I could try to settle my stomach before we got into the big climactic so, ad. So your suggestion is for the MVP is, like, like the, the thing that makes the movie is one scene that's calm, specifically because you didn't feel sick for a moment. <laughs> yes, I needed that scene to be able to enjoy the rest of the film. That's my killer MVP. Suck it. All right, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> so I'm just going to go with the clowns because... The the clowns, I think, are the number one thing that people remember from this movie. Yeah. They are the by far the best scare in the film. And, you know, I mean, again, like Hell House, anytime you bring this up, the first thing that people are probably going to mention is that goddamn clown. Yes. <laughs> you know, like that's it, it is the thing that sticks with you long after the movie is over. Most effective part of the movie, I think. So for me, it's the clowns. And and they continue to show up through all the sequels for a reason. <laughs> yeah, because clowns are creepier than cultists. Agreed. Uh, although cultists are a very real creepy thing. So. Yes, they are. <laughs> They're a real life threat. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So that's going to do it for us on Hell House LLC. So I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about the quote unquote classic <laughs> uh, Hack-O-Lantern. <laughs> 
which that should be fun. Um, I'm but, looking forward to it. I bet you are. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we're going to be doing that next week. So if you can, go check that out. I want to say that it's streaming on Shudder, possibly other places. Uh, so, you know, you can go to your homework there if you want. But uh, So that's going to do it for us on Hell House LLC. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And enjoy the rest of your October, horror fans. Bye. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night. Horror fans.